Hello and welcome to Physician Assistant Exam Review Podcast. This is Episode 3, Abortions and Ectopics. My name is Brian Wallace. I'm the host here at Physician Assistant Exam Review, and I am so happy to be back behind the microphone once again. This is going to be Episode 3 of Season 2 where we're rebooting and restarting the podcast and going back through the NCCBA blueprint with some better information, some better ideas on how to study, how to get prepared for your exams, and picking up with some material that I never covered in the first series, um, which is a lot of GYN and OB stuff that I had thought I'd covered in the podcast, but I never did. I had just had done blog posts about it. So we're going to pick up this week with abortions and ectopics. And like I talked about last week, I, I I've becoming. I've been looking more and more into information about studying, about retention, about how we learn things, about how the brain functions, and about best practices and and uh, saving time and and doing things in a better way. And one of the things I've I've really been harping on a lot to everybody on the email list who gets all this information from me, and in the last few episodes on the podcast, is about this idea of passive versus active studying and being engaged and not just sitting back and listening and passively letting the material sink through your head and slide through your brain but actually breaking, uh, breaking out and working on that information and working with that information. One of the things I remember back from college was I had an old professor in my physics class who would do projects, uh, problems on the board, and he'd go over these huge long problems over and over, and he would stop and turn back and look at us and say, you know, you guys have to practice this stuff. I know it all looks so simple while I'm doing it, but it's because I know how. You have to practice it. Even if you feel like you're getting it as, I, as, he's, as I'm doing it on the board, you have to go back and, and do the work. You can watch Derek Jeter take ground balls all day, but if you haven't tried it, watching him and making it thinking that it's easy is not the same as it actually being easy. And that was one of the things he used to say to us all the time. And he's absolutely right in the sense that you have to physically work with the material. You have to actively be engaged with the material. So in that sense, we're going to start off this week's show with some with some questions, a couple that are going to be reviewed from last week and a couple that are going to be used to prime your brain as we get ready to go into this week. So a couple of questions that you should know the answers to if you listen to last week's episode, and a couple of questions that I want you to spend some time thinking about and processing in your head. I'm going to give you just a second, but don't just hear them and let them slide through. Even if you don't know the answers, try to take a guess. We're going to cover them shortly so you'll get the answers, but work on them. Just that little bit of priming really makes a big difference uh, with all the studies I've been, <laughs> I've been reading on the topic. So anyway, let's go ahead and jump right in. So what are the five parts of the biophysical profile? Do you remember that from last week? Five parts of the biophysical profile. Remember that was an ultrasound we do later on towards uh, the date of confinement. What are the five parts of the biophysical profile? What is the first-line medical treatment for gestational diabetes? First-line medical treatment for gestational diabetes. All right, those are from last week, so I'm going to go ahead and give you the answers here. The biophysical profile was um, breathing, two or more movements, muscle tone, so an episode of extension and flexion, heart rate, uh, two accelerations of 15 beats or more in a 20-minute period, and then looking for pockets of amniotic fluid, at least one adequate pocket. Uh, the second one was medical treatment for gestational diabetes. The first 
is going to be metformin. Most patients are going to start off on metformin and move on from there. Okay, so some things to prime your brain for this section. What percentage of abortions occur in the first 12 weeks of gestation? What percentage of abortions occur in the first 12 weeks of gestation? An incomplete abortion is the cervical... I'm sorry, in an incomplete abortion, is the cervical os open or closed? In an incomplete abortion, is the cervical os open or closed? And then what percentage of ectopics occur in the fallopian tubes? What percentage of ectopics occur in the fallopian tubes? And I'll have a bit more to talk about that. So take a minute and think those over. And then we're going to go ahead and jump right in. Spontaneous abortions. Um, we're going to run through some key terms here. Abortion is a termination of pregnancy before the fetus develops sufficiently to survive. The termination of a pregnancy before the fetus develops sufficiently to survive. So any means, uh, that would be an abortion. A spontaneous means without medical or mechanical means of emptying the uterus. So spontaneous abortion is when, without any intervention, uh, the pregnancy is terminated before the fetus is able to sufficient uh, to develop sufficiently to survive. Approximately 15% of pregnancies end in spontaneous abortion. Approximately 15% end in spontaneous abortion. So this is quite a big number. 15%. You know, if we talk about all the people who get pregnant, all the pregnancies, that's a huge number. Something to keep in mind. 80% occur in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. So 80% of them will occur in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. And most of these, about half, are due to, to chromosomal abnormalities, so issues with chromosomes. The rest are usually things like diabetes, hypothyroidism, progesterone deficiency, alcohol, smoking, autoimmune factors, and, and, and there are the laundry list goes on and on, but those are your major ones. But again, most of these are chromosomal abnormalities, and that's something um, you may want to talk with your patients about if you're in this field, regardless that you know things aren't necessarily patient's fault every time. And we tend to, they tend to think of it that way. But a lot of the times, uh, those early on um, miscarriages are chromosomal abnormalities. Categories of spontaneous abortions. So the, uh, this is something that's easily tested and quizzed on. Threatened abortions. A threatened abortion is, so this is just going to be uh, vocabulary terms. So try to think about these as we go through. And again, I'll ask you about them as we go along. And one of them was even in the beginning, because they're just easy to ask questions on. Threatened abortions. This is going to, patient's going to have cramping bloody discharge or spotting. They're going to have a closed cervical os, and a small percentage of these will go on to spontaneous abortion. So here the os is closed, and they have some discharge while they're pregnant. These are called threatened abortions, but again, only a small amount of them will go on to a, to a spontaneous abortion. Inevitable abortions are where there's been an obvious rupture of membranes and leaking of amniotic fluid, and this is usually within the first 12 weeks. And if if this occurs with cervical dilation, it'll likely go on to a miscarriage. A complete abortion is a complete detachment of the placenta from the uterus and expulsion of the products of conception. The cervical os in this case will be closed once it's complete. So once everything's passed, the os will close. An incomplete abortion is the cervical os is open with some portion of the fetus and or placenta remaining in the uterus. A missed abortion is the cervical os is closed also and the termination of the fetus remains I'm sorry, the terminated fetus remains in the uterus. So the, the products of conception are still in the uterus and the os is closed. This can go unnoticed for quite some time, days to weeks. And then our last term in this section is going to be recurrent abortion, which usually is defined as three or more consecutive spontaneous abortions. This can be very difficult on the, on the patient, but the prognosis is still very good. The majority of these cases are secondary to chance. And again, that single spontaneous risk Abortion risk is at 
so it's it's very possible to have three in a row and not really, you know, and it not be anything that the patient is doing. But with 15% chance per pregnancy, you know, that's, again, that's just a very high number. I think something that people don't realize, especially in today's day and age, um, that, that that number would be so high. Labs you're going to get, um, serial HCG titers. You're going to do ultrasounds just like any pregnancy. These are just things you're going to normally be following. Um, treatment plans for a threatened or inevitable abortion are typically treated with bed rest. Um, routine physical exams and ultrasound. And then if it's an RH issue, then you're going to obviously give immunoglobulin. If the fetus is, has been terminated and the, contents of the uterus remain, and the contents remain in the uterus, it's going to have to be emptied. So you're going to have to do a DNC and take them to the operating room. All right, so that covers covers abortions. Uh, ectopic pregnancies. Ectopics is something, um, well, I'll talk about it. <laughs> I'll about it in just a second. Ectopic pregnancies. This is the implantation of a fertilized egg outside of the uterus. So the egg has been fertilized, but instead of planting itself inside the uterus, it implants somewhere else. And this occurs in about 1% to 2.5% of pregnancies. So again, fairly high numbers considering how often people get pregnant. So for every 100 pregnancies, you could wind up with one ectopic. Those numbers just seem a little higher than I would, than, than I would guess. Roughly 80% of ectopic pregnancies occur inside the fallopian tubes. Roughly 80% occur inside the fallopian tubes. Risk factors for an ectopic is basically anything that will slow down the movement of the egg through the tubes. So anything that will, so the, the sperm may reach the egg a little too early and it'll implant in the tube rather than in the uterus. So history of surgery on the fallopian tubes. So if you've had uh, your tubes tied, but not well enough, <laughs> then it, you, know, you have an increased risk for an ectopic pregnancy, history of salpingitis, so the tubes being infected, history of pelvic inflammatory disease, so everything is uh, scarred down with pelvic inflammatory disease, a lot of scar tissue in the tubes and within the uterus, uh, so that can lead to an increased chance of an ectopic pregnancy, history of an ectopic pregnancy, and history of endometriosis. Endometriosis causes all kinds of scarring as well, so that's something else. We'll talk about that further along the line in GYN but that'll cause a lot of scarring. So anything that causes scarring in the pelvis or within the fallopian tubes is going to increase a patient's risk for an ectopic pregnancy. Clinical presentation. These patients are going to have usually have pain. They're going to have amenorrhea because they're pregnant. Uh, they'll have GI symptoms. They may have lightheadedness and abnormal vaginal bleeding. In a pelvic exam, you may feel a mass in about 20% of ectopic pregnancies, but it depends on how far along they are. Um, pregnancy tests, urine progesterone, and ultrasounds are going to be the definitive um, test for this. Treatment. First-line treatment is going to be methotrexate. It can be given if the mass is less than four centimeters and gestation is less than six weeks in order to abort the fertilized egg, or surgical removal of the ectopic um, is done laparoscopically if it's bigger than that. And these cannot go on to term pregnancy. That's something to understand, is that they, the the fetus will begin to develop inside the tube, but there's just simply not enough room inside the tube. So at some point, it's going to rupture. And when it does, it causes an incredible amount of bleeding and is extremely dangerous for um, mom. And, the, and, the, and the, the developing fetus is not going to survive that process. So we move into the ruptured ectopic, which is an ectopic pregnancy that results in the tearing of the fallopian tube, like we just talked about. This can cause massive hemorrhage and is a surgical emergency. So like I said, this is something that has to be, the ruptured ectopic has to be taken care of emergently. So if this comes into the ER, it bumps anything on the OR schedule and gets done right away because of the significant bleeding that goes along with it. Clinical presentation here, it's all the same symptoms as above. So all the pain and everything else, except just more severe with an acute, intense abdominal pain. These patients can even complain of shoulder pain due to peritoneal involvement. So the lining 
uh, think about it as the lining of the abdomen. If you uh, pull and tug on it a little in different ways and it gets it, and it gets involved, you get some shoulder, some referred shoulder pain. That's why patients a lot of times will hurt after laparoscopic surgery is the CO2 blows up the abdomen and causes um, some peritoneal involvement there and can, they can get some referred shoulder pain. So even though things aren't going on in the shoulder, um, that's where that comes from. They can get lightheadedness or dizziness secondary to significant blood loss. Again, that's our major issue with a ruptured ectopic is the blood loss. And then the treatment here is this requires immediate surgery to um, control the hemorrhage and remove the mass. So <laughs> interestingly enough, I, I very, very recently was involved in one of these cases, and this was a ectopic pregnancy that was in the cornea of the uterus. So the part where the tube actually attaches to the uterus. So this is a little bit more dangerous as far as bleeding goes, because although the, the baby can, the fetus can grow to a bigger size, first of all, so it can go on longer without pain and be unnoticed. Uh, and second of all, the blood supply is even, is even more so. So this is a much more risky kind of situation. Thankfully, it was, it was found early enough on ultrasound as the patient was having routine um, prenatal care. So it was found very early and we were surgically able to take care of it without a lot of problems. But we did have to take out that whole tube and take out part of the uterus and then close that very carefully to, uh, because again, the blood supply just increases significantly with pregnancy. So there's a big concern about uh, bleeding during that time. But everything went really well. The patient did great. Um, I know it's a little bit sad for her, but it did go uh, really, really well, and she's doing great. Um, all right, that's as much as I want to cover today. I just wanted to stick today's section to abortions and ectopics. For OB, I'm going to keep things a little bit shorter. That's just sort of the way this, the, the material falls. It doesn't lend itself. Uh, it doesn't flow well. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is just keep each section a little bit shorter and we'll hit each section and make sure that you know them really well. Our study tip for this week, because I always like to include this, is an idea that I, I came across a long time ago, which is a lot of people, especially students, like to break off large sections of their days, like eight hours and go to the library. And most of the studies show that even if you're really, really good and you've really trained and you're really, you can focus really strongly, that your best focusing is about four hours a day. That that's about your max. Is about what our brains can handle. So it works best if you study in small, consistent blocks instead of in big, huge chunks. So like I said, I know I used to go to the library for eight, 10 hours a day, but the idea is you break that up and do it through one of two ways, either throughout the week and break up those time periods, or you make sure that you take really good breaks during your studying. So you study for 45 minutes to 90 minutes, which seems to be about where, again, what our brains can handle in one shot. Then you take a break for 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is, and then you go back. But the idea being that you'd only do about three or four of those sessions in a day, because again, after that, you start to get limited returns. Now, I know you have to get through the material you have to get through, so you feel like you don't have a choice, but the bulk of the work you're going to get done is going to be in the first one or two of those sections, sessions of 45 minutes to 90 minutes. And then as the day wears on, you're going to get less and less actually accomplished. You're going to retain less of what you do during those times. So what I want you to start thinking about is how you focus your time and how focused you are during that time, because that's what's really going to make your major differences. So you should plan on only spending about four hours a day max studying, and then watch what happens after that. Watch how far you get, how, watch how much you retain in the material you do after those four hours and see if it's worth putting in that extra time or if really you're getting very limited returns at that point. So anyway, that's a study tip for today is try to keep your 
focus concentration to about four hours a day. And I know if you're in class all day and then you need to study at night, you know, obviously there are limitations to this for most people, but that's what's going to work best for you. And try to keep that in mind as you're preparing. And maybe you can do a little more, maybe you can do a little less, but I want you to be paying attention to how your focus wanes after that period or how long each session is, whether it's 45 minutes, 90 minutes, um, how long you can maintain that concentration for before you're going to need a break. But I think that's something you should all be planning into how you study and how you plan out your weeks and what you're going to put into your study schedule is thinking about those time frames and what's going to work best for you and actually pay attention to what works best for you. Don't just guess, but start trying to really monitor how long you can concentrate for and how much you're getting work done and what point you just start, start daydreaming and not retaining anything. All right, so let's look at some review questions from today's section. List four things in a patient's history that make you consider an ectopic pregnancy. So a patient comes in complaining of pain, abdominal pain. What are four things in our history that might make you consider an ectopic pregnancy? Okay, so remember, it's anything that's going to cause scarring in those fallopian tubes. So a previous ectopic, history of pelvic inflammatory disease, history of endometriosis, history of any fallopian tube surgery. What's the first line medical treatment for an ectopic pregnancy? What is the first line medical treatment for an ectopic pregnancy? Methotrexate. Define a threatened abortion. Define threatened abortion. Cramping, bloody discharge, or spotting in a closed cervical os. What term describes a situation where the fetal tissue is not viable but remains in the uterus and the cervical os is closed on exam? The fetal tissue is not viable, but it is in the uterus and the cervical os is closed. What was our term for that? This was a missed abortion. And what percentage of pregnancies will spontaneously abort? What percentage of pregnancies will spontaneously abort? So if you remember, that was 15%, 15%. All right, well, that'll just sort of wrap up our, our sad discussion for today. Um, I'm actually recording this over Memorial Day weekend, so I'm about to head out with the kids. I hope all of you had a, a great Memorial Day weekend and didn't just use it all up uh, for extra study time, but actually got out in the sun. Here it's about 90 degrees and sunny this whole weekend, so that's fantastic. Um, we're looking forward to getting out with them, uh, either doing some swimming. We filled up some some water balloons this morning. So that should be great. A lot of fun for this afternoon. So anyway, take care. I hope you had a great weekend, a great holiday, and good luck on your exams. Anybody who's taking this week. Oh, and thank you to everybody who left iTunes reviews this week. Uh, I really do appreciate those. They go a long way to boosting my ego and, and helping me to continue to put the show out. Take care. Have a great week and good luck.